He came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is 2023, a new year, and we all hope it's going to be a great year. But we mourn the loss of Pope Benedict, 95 years old. I will take 95 right now if somebody can give it to me. But he was a great man and a great pope. And we have a great show. We have Mario Economo, uh, Dr. Peter Michalos, uh, Bill Parker, one smart guy, Lou Dobbs on financial, and Rona McDaniel. On uh, what's going on in the GOP, and let's start off with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Happy New Year to you and to all your listeners. 2022 was a tough year for so many people. I'm praying and hoping for everyone that 2023 is better. Uh, you know, I'm staring, even as we sit here on New Year's Day, I'm staring at our border. It is wide open, and the risks that that presents to everyone listening to the show this morning are enormous. And not only will we have tens of thousands of people coming to the country. We don't know who the heck they are, but the fentanyl that they'll bring, the human trafficking, the people that will suffer, uh, the ramifications of this, when you have this scale of illegal immigration, is just mind boggling. And they, you know, we'll keep going back about Title 42, uh, what, whatever. Um, in the end, you have to have secure borders. You have to have American sovereignty. And this administration has chosen not to do that. If you stared at the risks for 2023, I would put our open borders and the unwillingness of our school systems to respond to parents in a way that educate our kids. I'd put those two at the top of my list. Uh, I, I agree 110%. Nobody can believe, Mr. Secretary, that they're allowing this to happen. I mean, it, it borders, I mean, I wouldn't use the word treason, but it borders on it because you're allowing the country to be invaded with, with for people that we don't know who they are. I believe in immigration, but you've got to know who's coming and going. Oh, my goodness. That's exactly right. No, sometimes those of us who want secure borders, American sovereignty, get accused of being all kinds of terrible things. The truth is what we want is we want Americans to come here under a legal system. We all know who's coming in. We don't have to worry that, as with 2022, where we had dozens and dozens of people on the terror watches. Think about that, John. Uh, your city, to right, 9-11, we had, we had dozens of people on the terror watch list come across our border that we know about. Who knows how many that we don't know about? Those are the kind of things that I think the American people, this isn't conservative or liberal. I think the American people get that this is just really bad for our country. And I, like you, don't understand why Biden and his crew refuse to deal with this and with any level of seriousness. And I, I, I hope they'll regret it soon and fix it. I know Americans will regret, will regret it if we don't get this right. Absolutely. Russia and Ukraine is the other big item. Somebody had said the other day that Putin is thinking of making a deal. Is there a deal to be made or are both parties too stubborn? I don't think we're anywhere close to a deal at this point. Uh, and it's less stubborn. They both think they, are, they, can, uh, they can fight and negotiate from a better position. 
why Putin believes that, I don't understand. Every time he said, I can, I'll be in a better position a month from now, he's been in a worse position. We're coming up on a year, February 24th. We're coming up on one year from the date that he invaded Ukraine, and he has a fraction of the land that he had and uh, has killed almost uh, 100,000 of his own men and women in, in uniform. Uh, it is absolutely tragic. Just a few days back, he fired another 100-plus rockets into major cities trying to terrorize the Ukrainian people just to take down their energy. That is, that's evil. Uh, that's, that's sick. Uh, and I hope the Ukrainians will continue to be supported by the Europeans that will make sure that to the extent we can, we provide them not only with the weapons they need, with the energy and the food they need to continue to fight for their own homeland and their own sovereignty. What's happened in the last few days with China? China is, was sending... Uh, airplanes uh, to Milan all over again. The Italians were were smart enough to stop them. Meanwhile, our own government says, well, uh, we'll take a a better look at it or or stop them January 5th. Why are we waiting to January 5th? That's crazy. I remember so well. I was a Secretary of State. All of a sudden, my ambassador there on the ground, uh, Lou Eisenberg, uh, he and I spoke, and he was traveling. He went up to Milan, right? This was the first place the Chinese went. There's a lot of Chinese workers there in the garment industry in the northern part of Italy. And it was bad. You remember those pictures from Milan where the hospitals were full and the morgues were full. We're about to do the same thing again. The data is no good, but it sounds like we might have as many as a million, a million, John, a million Chinese people infected, 50% of their population traveling. There, there is no reason that we should allow the Chinese to do this again to send Chinese infected persons around the world, knowingly infecting people all across the globe. She got away with this once. I regret that uh, he he wasn't held accountable. He hasn't been held accountable. We should still do that for the 6 million people who died between a spring of 20 and today, but he's doing it again. So, so John, just, just as in the spring of 20, he sent people around the world who he knew were infected. He's doing the same darn thing again. He's going to infect millions more. We shouldn't let that happen. The Chinese are just saying, send me airplanes. I mean, we've all been through hell. The whole world has. America has. Uh, the American business community has. And here, here we go. Xi Jinping doing it all over again. This virus came from a lab in Wuhan, and now it's coming from, it's going to come from people who are infected inside of China, traveling the world. The world should not permit this to happen again. We, we know better now. We, we're smarter. We're wiser. We're savvier about this risk. We should stop it. The only other thing I think is really important as people think about 2023 is that this effort to fix our schools began in earnest in 2020, 2021. Parents all across the country working, saying enough, stop teaching our kids garbage. And I hope we had some good elections in 22. I hope that parents will stay after this. We, they deserve to have their kids get educated in a way that respects America, that understands American greatness, it teaches them to read and write and do math. Uh, I hope that fight continues in 23 in the same way it did in 22. If so, that next generation of leaders here in America will continue to be great. Secretary Pompeo, God bless you and God bless America. And we, I hope all our families have a great year and our country has a great year. Thank you so much. Welcome back, Dr. Parker. Oh, it's always great to be back on your show. There's so many things going on. Where, where do you want to start? Um, you know, how about Afghanistan? Because not many people are talking about it these days. But uh, if that's okay with you, we'll start Please. there. Yes. 
You know, you look back at this 20 years, $2.3 trillion, 2,324 American uh, servicemen dead, 3,900 contractors, and the list goes on. Uh, 243,000 died total over there. Uh, and, and the Taliban just kicked out all the women out of their universities. Um, they now say all women are uh, not allowed to be, uh, if they're part of an NGO, they're not allowed to operate in their country anymore. Um, and meanwhile, we've left a lot of equipment behind, about $83 billion to include Apache helicopters, Humvees, et cetera. Um, so it's interesting. And then today, um, John, you saw the article where uh, there's a discussion of Germans finding uh, they, they bought on eBay for about $200 biometric iris scanners. They have about 2,600 personnel's photos, fingerprints, names, um, nationalities, iris scans, et cetera. So uh, we've got some problems uh, in how we dealt with uh, departing over there. I will say I thought the military did quite well in general. Um, that said, um, the way we left uh, and as fast as we left um, is why we're at where we're at today. Dr. Parker, this is Pete King. I was going to ask you, uh, do you know what the status is of the Afghans we left behind, or the translators, those who had cooperated with us? Is there any improvement in their status? Are they being hunted down? Yes, sir. And I know this is something that uh, you in particular focused on. Uh, the reality is um, we, we have been successful in, uh, in giving, getting some out thanks to uh, a lot of uh, work from a lot of brave people. Um, but unfortunately, there's, a, there's still uh, many Americans there, and there's a very large number of interpreters, translators, et cetera, that uh, we work with closely and made a huge difference on the battlefield while we were there. Dr. Parker, going back to the women, you're, we're seeing the videos of the women crying when they're being told that they can't go to school anymore. And they're actually out in the streets protesting and they've unleashed water cannons on them, but they're still out there. I'm worried about their safety, but I guess it's also a good sign that they're able to protest in the first place. What are you hearing? Unfortunately, these people are not going to uh, it's not going to end well for these women. Um, and uh, I give them a lot of credit. Uh, for having the courage to stand up, uh, uh, similar to the Iranians who are standing up against their government right now. Um, this is this is a brutal uh, organization, the Taliban there. Uh, and unfortunately, I think what you will find is uh, many of them dead or in prison. And then it's really sad to see that some of these people held political offices or were teaching at universities, et cetera. And now they're not even allowed to go into their own parks or attend school. And what is that going to do to their economy when women are no longer allowed to be educated, no longer able to work? I'm seeing these videos of women saying my husband is disabled or I'm a widow. It's, I it's need to be work. It's going a fourth world country. It's going to go from a third world to a fourth world country. Uh, it, it, is, uh, it is going to be a complete disaster. And then there's going to be uh, reaching out from, uh, to around the globe asking uh, folks to help fund them. Uh, to bring them back to the point where they can at least uh, eat. And they're not there right now. They are suffering mightily, and much of that is because of a rapid, uh, poorly prepared departure. And Dr. Parker, we, we're seeing this video of this huge hole that has been cut in the El Paso barrier, and just migrants are, are pouring through. It's hard to believe this is still the United States, and that's happening. Well, I tell you, this gets to state rights issues, but the reality is, you know, you had 900,000 legal immigrants come into the United States in the first nine months of 2022. That's good, right? We want to bring in, in good people that care and want to be American citizens and do it the right way. But this year, 2.76 million migrants 
have crossed the southwest border into the United States. That's a million more than any other year. And in El Paso, um, I mean, it, it, it's on a stretch of the border between the U.S. and Mexico. It's four miles from El Paso where they've cut this huge hole and they're bringing in drugs. They're bringing in uh, uh, human trafficking like you wouldn't believe. We don't know what else. And that really concerns me uh, if they're if bringing in weapons of mass destruction, bioweapons, uh, et cetera. We have a huge problem there. And, and we also have an issue with states' rights on whether or not these states are allowed to say, no, I'm going to put up this, uh, this barricade, whether it's Arizona, Texas or others, and, and prevent this from happening. Why do you think that the Biden administration is allowing this? I don't know the answer to that, but uh, I, I've heard several people uh, make the prediction that perhaps um, if all of these uh, folks that come in uh, illegally, many of them are good people, they, they want to go and be in a better place or whatever, but they come in and then they get citizenship, and now you have changed dramatically the voting dynamic in the U.S. Changed it dramatically overnight by by allowing all of these people to come in illegally and then become citizens. Who pays the cost? I mean, I'm not just talking even financially, because there is a financial burden that comes with housing migrants, with educating them, with giving them food and clothing, and, and you name it. I think this is a national security threat at this point. Dr. Parker, what do you think? I think it's a national security uh, uh, threat. I think it's a national economic threat. Um, I think when you look at our schools, um, it's a major issue, all points that you have brought up. But when you get to the security side of the house, if you don't know who's in the country and you don't know what they're bringing in, that's a major, major threat. Uh, I mean, can you imagine allowing people into your home, uh, open up the front door and just saying the next 12 people just walk on in, doesn't matter what you have in your backpack. That's basically what we're doing right now. I mean, all the all our people, all our security people in Homeland Security, what do they all think? There are a lot of uh, very frustrated people at Customs and Border Patrol and Homeland Security writ large at the U.S. Coast Guard, um, et cetera, people that are, are trying to protect this country, um, the, the police officers, uh, the gentleman that you just had on. Um, all these people think we have lost our minds by allowing just anyone to flow across the border and not even putting up a wall that's laying there on its side. And, and it's, uh, it's going to have a negative impact. It's already having a negative impact, but it's going to have a bigger one. Um, and we start having, uh, you know, dirty bombs go off in the United States. It's going to make 9-11 look like child's play, which is just horrifying to think about, but uh, not hard to get weapons like that across the border when they're as porous as they are. You, know, you realize how difficult it is for the airports, all the, the tight security measures, and yet in the southern border, people can just walk across. And the terrorists are well aware of that. They are well aware of that. And, um, you know, that's why I started off with Afghanistan today, uh, is because when you, when you really look at it, you know they're making preps right now. There's somebody sitting somewhere right now in, uh, in Afghanistan that's making preparations for the next attack or attacks against the United States. Um, and I believe that will be in either a dirty weapon or a uh, or a bio attack because those are the the significant impacts and, and you can hurt the most number of people doing that. I mean, I can't even imagine what the recruiting looks like right now with the Taliban um, after they have said, look, we kicked the Russians out. Uh, we kicked the Americans out now. Heck, we kicked out Alexander the Great. But look, nobody can defeat us. Just come join our group. And that's exactly what you're hearing right now. Incredible, incredible what's going on in our world The only world guy today. that didn't defeat was Rocky. Well, Rocky was on their side. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. William Parker, for all that you do. Thank you, uh, Bill. Thank you, Dr. 
You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Mario Economo. Uh, he's a, a former banker with uh, New York, London, Zurich, and uh, many other money center banks. And uh, he was raised in Europe and the Middle East. And uh, he's one smart guy when it comes to what's going on in Europe. And I think the way Europe goes, so does gives, gives us an indication which way our country is going. Mario Konomo, Happy New Year. Tell us, give us an update of what's going on. Yes, good morning. Happy New Year to both you and to our listeners. The weather in Europe continues to be very, very, very mild, which is actually a good thing. It has actually pushed natural gas prices down rather dramatically. And if this trend continues, as is expected, this will not actually be the horrible, scary winter from an energy basis that everybody thought it was going to be. So that is actually a positive development, uh, I believe. There is something, though, which is going on in Europe and concerns specifically Serbia and Kosovo and a border issue there, specifically with a Serb minority that lives in Kosovo and the fact that they have been told by the Kosovo government that they need to exchange their license tags on their cars from Serbian ones to Kosovo ones. This is something many of the Serb minority in Kosovo are refusing to do, and this has essentially brought Serbia out in support and in defense of that Serbian minority. The situation is actually rather tense. The U.S. and Europe have asked both sides to de-escalate. Serbia has in fact mobilized its army and sent it to the border and has told the Kosovo government that if in fact they force these people to convert their license tags on their car from those Serbian ones that they are driving around with to Kosovo ones, they will protect the Serb minority and their uh, interests in Kosovo. Mario, I think you have to tell all the people that at one time it was one country. It was called what? Yugoslavia? That's correct. It was one time it was called Yugoslavia. And, now, uh, now, now know, Yugoslavia was made up of Serbia, Kosovo, yeah. uh, yes, uh, Bosnia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and you have what's North Macedonia now, which is something that the Greeks actually settled under the previous Greek government and reached an agreement specifically with respect to what the name of that country was going to be, now known as North Macedonia. Two uh, neighbors are having an argument with each other right now. Both these neighbors have very strong backers. Serbia specifically has Russia and China on its side, and um, Kosovo has Turkey, who has essentially said that if Serbia does intervene militarily in this dispute, that they, Turkey, will actually back and support Kosovo militarily. So you have a essentially a Balkan war brewing, or a Balkan war in the making, if in fact it continues down the current path. Couple this with the fact that there are continuous overflights of Turkish uh, aircraft into Greek airspace. It creates a very volatile situation in that part of the world, whereas we know in World War One, that's essentially how World War One broke out. It was in that part of the world, the Balkans. So when did this whole thing uh, uh, come up with Serbia and Kosovo? Well, this has now been uh, in the making uh, for several months. There were some extensions provided by the Kosovo government. They did allow the Serbs to continue, the Serbian minority, to continue to drive their vehicles, and they get provided extensions with respect to them uh, converting their license tags. Everybody was sort of hoping that this would just go away and the Serbian minority would convert their tags. However, they've essentially dug in, they've driven trucks out, they've blocked highways, and they've closed access to their part of the country. 
The Biden administration, as well as the EU, have asked both sides to de-escalate. So far, it looks like the situation will de-escalate, and the truck drivers have said they will eventually be moving their trucks off of the highways, blocking uh, entrance and exit from that Serbian uh, minority part of Kosovo. The other big item is uh, uh, in Europe is uh, Iran, and the other big item in Europe, uh, Europe, uh, Middle East, is uh, Ukraine and Russia. I mean, any updates on that? Well, the Ukraine and Russia war continues um, unabated. The Russians are hitting infrastructure and continue to do so. The Ukrainians have uh, recently hit a couple of targets inside of Russia. There are questions as to whether it is, in fact, Ukrainians that are doing this or Western intelligence agencies. I think one of the most important developments in the Ukraine uh, and Russian war has been the fact uh, of what the previous uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel about three weeks ago came out and said, which was that the Minsk agreement was essentially... Uh, an agreement put in place, uh, an attempt to buy time for the Ukraine so that the Ukraine could become stronger um, in, in, in terms of militarily to be able to fend off any attack by Russia. If, in fact, that's true, and I suspect it is because there would be no reason for her to come out and say this in, in, the, uh, in her interview in Die Zeit, which is a German publication on December the 7th, uh, it means that essentially the countries backing this agreement, which were Germany and France, uh, acted in poor faith. That uh, makes it more difficult for the Russians to come to the bargaining table and to sit down and to ever trust the Europeans again. So I'm not sure why Ms. Merkel would come forward and say this at this stage. I'm not sure how the Europeans are going to be able uh, to have a rapprochement with the Russians considering uh, if they did in fact act in bad faith, they could also be on very weak legal ground if the Russians decided, which I suspect they won't, uh, go to an international court. Uh, so we'll have to see how that plays out. Anything else you want to talk about before uh, we, uh, we call yeah, it a day and enjoy the new year? There's one thing that's very interesting, and I think the Americans should know about. Uh, the European Commission is actually, is actually considering... Uh, banning ships which are registered in the European Union to have crews of sailors from the Philippines. Now, you may think that that's not a big deal, but the reality is after Panama, it is the European Union that has the largest gross merchant tonnage. And one in four sailors on these ships are Filipinos. The reason the European Union is saying that these uh, sailors will no longer be allowed to be on these ships is because the certification process in the Philippines does not meet the standards set by the International Convention on Standards of Training. And therefore, their certification is uh, not a good one. Uh, if, in fact, the European Union does enact this, um, we're looking at a situation where these ships are not going to have enough crew. They will not have enough people to be able to man these ships to be able to sail on the seas. This will come at a time when we've seen all sorts of price increases as a result of global shortages and as a uh, result of large energy prices on, uh, with respect to uh, fuel for these vessels. So this is something else that everybody needs to keep in the back of their mind, even though it could take roughly five years to play out because the certifications, which are actually valid at the moment for many of the Filipino sailors, would continue until they expire. You would have a situation where you would not have enough people in, in the not-too-distant horizon to be able to uh, man these ships. So that would create an additional crunch with respect to be able, uh, being able to have ships to move 
goods around the world. Well, uh, Mario, uh, Happy New Year, and let's have a great 2023, and uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Happy New Year to all our listeners. Thank you. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. All is quiet on New Year's Day. It's a new year, and with us today is Rona McDaniel, and she is the Republican National Chairwoman or Chairman. And uh, let's get an evaluation. Where is the Republican Party looking to in 2023? Rona, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, John. Thanks for having me. Well, one thing every Republican should be celebrating in 2023 is that Maxine Waters will no longer be the chairman of financial services. Ilhan Omar will be removed from the Foreign Relations Committee because we will take back the House. Nancy Pelosi will no longer be the speaker. Uh, And this will allow us to be a check on the Biden administration as we head into 2024 where I believe we will win back the White House and the Senate map is significantly better for us than 2022. Instead of defending 21 seats, the Democrats will now be defending 21 seats in 2024. And I think we, we take back the Senate. So it's time to rebuild and know that we just won back the House and we have wins ahead of us in 2024. Is there any major races uh, in 2023 that uh, the Republican National Committee gets involved with? Yeah, so there'll be two governor's races that I think everybody's going to be watching. Well, Mississippi's one, but I think the current governor will get reelected, Tate Reeves, who's a Republican. But you're going to have a vacancy in Louisiana. Um, John Bell Edwards will no longer be the governor. He's termed out. So you've got Jeff Landry, the attorney general, who's already announced for governor there. So that's a flip that we could pick up, that governorship in Louisiana. And then Kentucky They have a a governor there, Bashir, who's terrible. He's a legacy governor. His dad was governor. Just terrible for the state of Kentucky. And we have about 11 candidates competing for that nomination for the Republican Party to take back that governorship. Um, That's going to be a tough, tough race. But remember, in 2021, we won with Yunkin in Virginia and shocked the world. So we'd love to flip two governorships in 2023. You're right. Nobody expected... uh... Uh, Governor Youngkin to win at that uh, that race. No, they didn't. What what are you, what are, you'll be preparing uh, for the uh, presidential race, I guess, uh, uh, for 2024, and uh, there's going to be so many people running. I mean, uh, I get phone calls all the time. I mean, uh, President Trump is definitely running, uh, to the best of my knowledge. How many other people do you think are going to run? You know, I I don't know, John. I mean, President Trump's obviously already announced his candidacy. Um, the RNC has already set our calendar. So our calendar, our rules were set. So it's going to be Iowa, then New Hampshire, then Nevada, then South Carolina. Those are the first four states. Some of the other states haven't set their dates yet. And then we'll probably be announcing our first debate in um, January, um, which will be in July or August of 2023. So that's starting very fast that we're going to head into this presidential cycle. And I think, you know, you watch Joe Biden celebrating over the weekend and, and on his a vacation once again. And I was thinking how ironic that we have a president who spends most of his time on vacation when American families right now are questioning whether they can even afford a vacation this year. People do not feel like our country's on the right track. And I do think Joe Biden is, is gearing up to run again for the Democrat nomination, which is fine. Uh, because I think we will beat him in 2024 with a stellar bunch of candidates, whoever that nominee ends up being. Is there going to be any problem with um, uh, the speaker's race? 
Yeah, so J- January 3rd is when uh, we're going to decide who the speaker is. I mean, I wish we had it decided now. We just won the House, and I think any delay in getting our agenda done is is um, a delay the voters don't want. Um, but I think, you know, Kevin McCarthy has done a lot to elect these candidates, fund their candidacies, uh, and I think he's on track to be the next speaker. But, you know, we just don't know. We won't know till January 3rd. Uh, there's a big controversy with a congressman in a congressman elect in uh, New York. Uh, January yeah. 3rd is only five days away. Uh, is he going to get to vote? Oh, I think he will get to vote. Listen, I think there's investigations and I think he's cooperating with them as, as he should. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately the voters of New York get to decide who gets to represent them in Congress. But I, I, I don't think anything is going to change his ability to vote. What else would you like to tell the American people? It's New Year's Day and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the sun is shining in some places. Florida had a cold spell. I mean, Buffalo had a disaster. Uh, I know. Give us your feelings. You know, here's what I would say is we didn't get the midterm we wanted. And I think but there's some shining spots is the fact that Republicans won the popular vote. If the vote took place for president that we had in this midterm, we would have won the presidency with 297 electoral votes. In every battleground state, a Republican won statewide, which should give us hope that we can win. So we've got to figure out how do we become a party that attracts people to us? How do we make independents say, I want to be a Republican or I want to vote for that candidate? How do we get young voters to be attracted to our party? And I do think we have to show optimism, show a path towards prosperity for voters and not just be against something, but be for something. And um, I know that that's the type of optimism that Ronald Reagan showed. And I think we saw it in all of these states with some candidates that were able to win. You know, people don't even realize in Arizona, the top vote getter in the whole state, in the whole state, the number one vote getter was a Republican. So we have a path to winning it all back. Um, And when you look at what the Biden administration has done with the open borders, with fentanyl, with socialism, with some of the things that they've done to this country to fundamentally transform the nation that we love that we're so blessed to live in. This is a time where we need to stand up and really fight for our constitution, our principles, and the American dream. And I feel blessed every day to live in the United States of America. I know you do, John. And I know as the Republican Party chair, I'm going to continue to keep that dream alive. Rona, has the RNC learned from mistakes of 2022? We lost a ton of votes uh, for young women, whether they were for the, on the abortion issue, which I think was my personal opinion. You know, my wife is from Indiana. She's, so she's right of Attila the Hun, but she feels very strongly about the abortion issue. And the other issue, it seems like the Democrats, even though they, they're not allowed to do it, they're, they're putting two turkeys in every pot by saying to, to the college people, the same ones that are concerned about abortion, uh, we're going to give you $10,000 off if you owe money to uh, uh, on your college uh, tuition. Yeah, and also giving the $36 billion to the Teamsters. I mean, the Democrats have been definitely wielding levers of power. Yeah, it's Christmas for them every day, right? So uh, have um, we okay, learned from that? The things they aren't, yeah, the RNC can't do anything with that except we need to take the reins of the power. But I will say, um, as a woman, as a suburban woman in Michigan, um, Abortion was a big issue in my state. It was a prop. It was a proposal in our state. 
um, and it really factored into every race in our state. And I will say, as RNC chair, I put a memo on in the summer. I said we can't afford to say we're not going to talk about this issue. Uh, we have to become conversant, and the Democrats are going to continue to use this issue. So what I will say is it, the ostrich method doesn't work if they're spending $30 million against you saying you won't protect a woman who's, have, who's had a miscarriage or has had an ectopic pregnancy Republicans have to fight back. And so we have to push our consultant class to not ignore issues. And we have to be conversant and and push back on the Democrats who are extreme on this issue. Listen, we don't believe in gender selected abortions. We don't believe that a baby should be aborted on its due date. We should be uh, able to talk about being pro-life in a way that's humanitarian and also talks about talk about building consensus. And this is something that we're going to have to get conversant on going forward. The RNC led on this. In the midterm, some of our candidates took our advice and some didn't. Um, But we know that the Democrats are going to continue to push on this issue heading into 2024. Rona, Happy New Year. Let's have a healthy one uh, because we don't need any more COVID coming in from China. I I hope uh, Washington does something about it real fast. And uh, God bless you. Happy New Year. God bless you and give my best to your whole family. Thank you, John. Well, this is Dr. Peter Michalos to see his visions of what we can do to live longer in 2023. Dr. Michalos, how are you? I'm doing great, John, and uh, I'm looking forward to a much better 2023. And uh, basically, today we're going to talk about something that's been affecting us and a problem that has been brewing, but we know a little bit more about it, which is long haul COVID. People have been suffering from COVID, but nobody's talking about uh, the long haul COVID issue. And the long haul COVID issue is when after you get COVID, some people are having continuous problems with breathing, problems with anxiety, fast heartbeat, concentration problems, fatigue, brain fog, and depression. And there are a record number of people who have filed for disability with long-haul COVID, and it's become a real entity, and some major medical centers have actually set up long-haul COVID centers to deal with some of these people who can't even walk to their mailbox or run out of breath, and it affects everyone differently. And uh, it seems that the spike protein appears to be the culprit and the leading uh, contributor, and the spike protein is also found in immune cells Uh, after the infection, up to 15 months, which is a long time. So this spike is the key that enters our cells that sits on the surface of the virus and gives access to the virus, basically to hijack our own cells and the internal copying machine to replicate itself. And the spike, unlike other viruses like the flu, which doesn't do this, the spike protein actually can cross the blood-brain barrier And it even travels up the olfactory smelling nerve in our nose. And that's why people lose their sense of smell. And it uses that nerve to travel up into the brain. And that's why people are getting this weird brain fog and anxiety. And it also causes inflammation in blood vessels. And the antibodies generated to attack this spike protein of the COVID virus also seem to attack the heart, as well as in some people, they cause something called myocarditis, especially in young males who have a robust immune system, so it's their own immune system attacking this spike, which generates this inflammation and seems to attack the wall and lining of the heart and the structures surrounding the heart. And now that we have more information two years later, they did autopsies and they found that the spike protein was found in the brain, heart, pancreas, kidneys, thyroid, lungs, blood, fat, bone, muscle, skin, and even inside our eyes. 
And lately there was a report of uh, people post COVID and being exposed to the uh, spike either naturally or through vaccine that there were 45 cases of reported ischemic uh, optic neuropathy and optic neuritis, which is very interesting that these uh, weird inflammations are occurring with uh, COVID. Now our bodies can handle short-term inflammation and that's okay because that that helps us fight invaders but chronic inflammation that happens with this long COVID, it does damage, just like arthritis chews up our joints if inflammation is around a long time. It seems that COVID is, is affecting uh, people as well. And as far as treatments are concerned, some of the things they're finding are that, for example, people on the diabetes drug made from uh, French lilacs, metformin, seem to fare better with um, COVID and long-haul COVID. We now know that something called a glutathione, which is an antioxidant, is found to be low in people who have more severe COVID and it's being used to treat um, long-haul COVID. There aren't any peer-reviewed literatures yet or large clinical trials haven't done on this because they're not prescription medicines. And something else is being used by many clinics and alternative medicine doctors called uh, NMN and NAD nicotinamide, which is a form of a a B-class vitamin, which is also being used. And some people claim that it is helping people and people go in for IVs and uh, various immune cocktails, including vitamin C. And of course, we know about the vitamin D, which is one of the more well-documented things that are low in the people who don't fare as well with COVID. So these are some of the things that when people have their annual physical, they should test to find out their D levels. And one of the things that people can also ask is to find out if they have COVID titers, because if you have high COVID titers, we don't know exactly what it means, but it seems that people who do have high COVID titers or you've been exposed to COVID, when you get subsequent infections, it won't be as bad. Fortunate thing is that many people have had it now in the United States and we've developed somewhat of a herd immunity, which will help us. And because we have all these great antivirals available, and in one study, they're even trying to use Paxlovid in a clinical trial to see if it'll help the long haul COVID people. So all these things will be coming out in the next few months and we'll be updating our audience at WABC so they can hear the latest on what's happening with COVID and long-haul COVID treatment, but we're in a lot better place as a country. And uh, as we speak, the great scientists at the various companies are making antibodies against some of the new variants. Right now, we haven't heard out of China and some of the other countries what the latest variants are. So I'm looking forward to hearing so that we can begin to prepare ourselves to see what we can do to battle any potentially new variants. But historically, most of these uh, bird flu viruses eventually burn out because they learn they don't want to keep killing their host and they become what's called endemic. As one professor uh, in Germany, the head of the ICU uh, society in Germany says that we've reached the endemic phase, which means it's not the pandemic phase, which the viruses will learn to eventually coexist with us and be just like the annual flu. And remember that every year we still have 20 to 50,000 deaths from regular flu in the United States. And fortunately, the number of ICU beds with COVID patients throughout the United States has dropped dramatically and it remains at around 10% currently, but we'll see what the next few weeks of winter show. But fortunately, the death rate has dropped. If you get COVID in the United States, it's a one in a hundred chance that it could be fatal which is a lot better uh, than doctor, where it was where two this, years ago. This, this new virus, a new COVID that's coming in with the Chinese, 
Do we have any indication yet what kind of COVID it is? Uh, no, we don't. That's the problem. We don't, we don't have any of the genetic uh, sequencing. But what we do know is that people who've been in intense lockdowns, their immune systems have been in hibernation. And suddenly when they come out, there's an explosion of cases. Unlike places like Sweden, which never really did any lockdowns, they basically let the virus run through their population. So they all have some level of immunity. So they're not having these major uh, outbreak. So we don't know which genetic type it is. We don't have a variant before they would give us a variant and name it after some Greek letter of the Greek alphabet. But we haven't had that information. And the published uh, cases, what they're saying is they only have a few thousand cases a day. But we heard people like your other uh, person on the ra- on the radio, Mr. Chang, Gordon Chang, said that they potentially have had millions of cases. But again, we'll 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 wait and see what happens. I worry about countries that have been in intense lockdown, like New Zealand, Australia. When they get exposed, they might see an explosion of cases. So unfortunately, sometimes you have to just let it run through and let it run its course, and eventually it becomes less lethal and it burns out, just like the Spanish flu of 19. 19- 18 did and the Hong Kong flu of 1967 to 69. So things are getting well, better. And thank God we have these great treatments. Thanks to Operation Warp Speed. Let's pray for a great 2023 for all of us and our families. And, and God bless you. Thank you for everything you've done in 2022. And look forward to working with you in 2023. Thank you, John, and thanks for always getting the truth out and spreading a message of peace and diplomacy. Thank you. Now on the line, Lou Dobbs. He's a political and financial commentator, author, and TV host. He hosts The Great America Show on iHeartRadio and LouDobbs.com. And, of course, he has his report here every single day on WABC Radio. Lou Dobbs. Great to be with you. Thanks so much. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. I mean... Uh, the financial markets, they've been on a roller coaster. Uh, the New York Post carried a story today where all the guys that uh, worth $200 billion, $100 billion, $50 billion, well, they're suffering. What's going to yeah, happen? Bro? What's going to happen with all this? Well, with the, with the billionaires, we don't have to uh, do a benefit. They're, they lost a, just about a half trillion dollars uh, over the course of the past year. Uh, what's going to happen with the markets themselves, uh, you know, I'll give you my best guess. And my best guess is that the majority are wrong about the markets. And by that, I mean all of the talk, uh, Sturm and Dung of uh, uh, all of uh, the so-called pundits uh, and gurus on Wall Street is that we have a recession. It's assured. Uh, and we're going to see a great calamity. I, I think they're overstating it, John, by a considerable margin. Uh, the reality is we had a recession last year, the first half of the year, uh, and no one seemed to pay attention to it. And now we don't have a recession, low unemployment. We have growth, and suddenly everyone's sure that this is a recession. Uh, I, for the life of me, I can't figure out what they're thinking. Uh, it, it seems to me that while things are tough and volatile, as you as you say, uh, you know, this is not exactly a, a terrible time in which we live uh, financially and economically. Uh, and I don't believe that, uh, you know, the end is near by any stretch of the imagination. You're right. Um, interest rates, you think that any chance that uh, Chairman Powell will take a pause? 
I think there's every chance because Powell is, you know, he's been chastened before. Uh, he was raising rates uh, in 2018. Uh, he was doing his best to be ahead of the markets when he should be behind the markets. Uh, he's done the same thing here. And the reality is that he is, he's going to have to face facts. Uh, he has goals. Uh, he's got 2% goals for the discount uh, inflation rate. Uh, he's going to have to live up to that. But by no means is he, should he be uh, willing to put uh, millions of people out of work. And that would be the result uh, if he continues on this path. But on well, the, well the real estate market is being devastated. Uh, new construction absolutely. is being devastated. <laughs> well, you mentioned in the conversation we had uh, before uh, China. You think it's their turn to fall? I think it's their turn now uh, to confront uh, economic realities uh, and also challenges. Uh, th- and we are watching it now when the zero COVID policy has to be reversed by Xi Jinping uh, just simply to stabilize the unrest in his own country. Uh, we're beginning to see some, some balance uh, achieved by the uh, CCP. Uh, and by that, I mean they're having to take cognizance of the fact that they have a lot of problems they've got to deal with. Uh, And this bluster and the refusal to join the global uh, marketplace uh, as anything other than a producer has to be reversed. Uh, So I think it's their turn to go from uh, what was a uh, a straight trajectory higher uh, on the backs of the the purchasing consumers around the world. Uh, They now have to, to fall in line and to either be a global trading partner uh, rather than a, uh, if you will, a mercantile uh, uh, totalitarian nation. I think they have to adjust. And uh, Lou, there's a new problem. Uh, the COVID problem is exploding in China. We just had Gordon Chang on, and uh, uh, I know it increased like 37,000 or 37 million in one day, was it? Uh, the COVID cases, yeah, it's yeah. like 37. And, and, and now the Chinese are allowing uh, the airplanes to come into new, uh, in our country and in uh, Milan uh, with mm-hmm. with people with COVID above, uh, aboard. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to see the Biden administration <laughs> at least say that they're going to uh, insist on having negative tests from every traveler, irrespective of whether they come in directly from China or third nations, uh, they will have to have a negative COVID uh, card with them or they don't get in. Uh, the unfortunate part is that that doesn't go into effect until next week, the 5th. Why are they waiting to January 5th? It should be tomorrow morning. The fact that he's doing it at all, John, is what really shocks me. Uh, but I'm appalled that they're not moving with the uh, with the urgency this requires. Why not we stop all travel? Yeah. I'm sorry? They should stop all travel because the people that... Uh, have COVID versus the people that flew in that airplane with the people who have COVID might not test uh, negative, might test negative, but they're not negative. You know, I recall having the very same conversation with Dr. Fauci in February of 2020. And he said, if you can imagine that travel bans don't work, travel bans do work. And they are the only thing that do work in the incipient stages of a pandemic, a potential pandemic. Uh, it, that is to eliminate contact. Well, thank uh, you. And you're exactly right. 
Thank you, Lou Dobbs. If we don't talk, Happy New Year. And uh, thank you for uh, uh, letting the American people know what the heck is going on. Appreciate it, John. Always great to be with you. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.